0: Good morning, everyone. Great to see you this morning. Before we read the passages for this morning, why don't we just say a word of prayer to God? Will you bow your heads with me for a word of prayer? Dear God, thank you for um, giving us life. And thank you for the dreams and goals, Lord, that come along with life and the challenges that we overcome. But we acknowledge, Lord, that we need your help. We need your help to dream dreams and set goals that actually matter, Lord, and not waste our lives. And more than that, God, we need your help to carry out those dreams and to reach those goals. We can't live the life you've called us to live without your spirit, God. And so this morning, we ask for your help to listen to your word and to wrestle with it in our hearts, God, and, and give you the opportunity to minister to us through your Holy Spirit, and through your people, God. We worship you, God, and we praise you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I attended a nutrition class at Fullerton Junior College for a few weeks, and before I dropped the class, I learned about something called (laughs) amino acids, the essential amino acids. Have you ever heard about those, anybody? Okay. So apparently... There's these eight amino acids that are so essential to your health that if you don't eat them, you'll actually die. And you have to get them through your food. Your body cannot produce them for some reason. And throughout history, there's actually been examples of people who've had plenty of food to eat. But the food they were eating lacked one or more of the essential amino acids. And as a result, they died with a full stomach. And uh, the professor even mentioned, uh, I guess, a more recent example. She said some people went on a trial diet using gelatin as their protein source. And the people on the diet actually died because protein lacks some of the essential amino acids. Now, you don't have to panic because most of us obviously are getting the amino acids that we need. They're available, present in many of the foods we eat. Uh, Apparently, they're in lots of meats and other uh, foods that we often consume, so no need to panic. But what if I told you that the Bible, the Word of God, the message of Christ is as essential to your health as the essential amino acids? What if I told you... That the Bible is more important to your health than the essential amino acids. No, you won't die physically if you never hear the Bible. But you, if you never hear and receive the words of Scripture, according to Scripture, you will die spiritually. In fact, it would say... That in a very real sense, if you have not heard and believed the words of the gospel, that you are, in fact, already spiritually dead. You are relationally separated from God, and you will bear the just consequences of your sins eternally if you do not hear and receive the message of the Bible. And so that's actually much more serious than physical death, which happens once. And then it's... Over And that's kind of a rebuke to many of us who are followers of Jesus, because I don't know about you, but when I look at people in my life who don't know Jesus, when I wave to my neighbor, for example, the first thought that crosses my mind is not that person needs to hear the message of Christ. I can get there. I am a Christian. I'm just saying it's not the very first thing that comes to mind in part because my neighbor looks so alive. He looks so healthy and strong. His lawn is nicer than mine. His kids are better behaved than I was. And maybe you kind of feel the same way when you are hanging out with your colleagues at work or chatting with friends in your classes. You don't necessarily feel like these people are spiritually dead if they don't know Christ. You don't feel a burden to give them the words that lead to eternal life because they look so alive. But of course we know that just as a person can have a stomach full of otherwise nutritious food, but be lacking the amino acids necessary for life, so a person can appear happy, content and strong But be lacking the words that lead to salvation. Let's look at a passage in Romans chapter 10 this morning. Romans chapter 10. And we'll start reading in verse 13. As we read, see if you can hear how the Bible is essential for spiritual life. It says this, starting in verse 13. It says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one who they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So Paul, writing to the Romans, says, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. This is great news. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or if you're a Gentile in the context of the letter, we can all be saved if we call on the name of the Lord which which of course means call on him in faith, believing that he is God who died for our sins and rose from the dead so that we could be forgiven and in a relationship with him. He says if you call, doesn't matter who you are, you can be saved. But then he he raises a, a bit of a problem. He says, how are they going to call on someone whom they've never heard about? And the implied answer is they won't. They have to hear about the one who saves. And then he takes it further and he says, and how are they going to hear if nobody preaches to them? That's not talking about like a minister on a stage. It just means if no one shares the message of Christ. And the implied answer again is they won't hear. And then he goes even further and he says, and how are they going to hear if they're not sent? Or how is someone going to preach, I think, if they're not sent? And of course, we've all been sent, commissioned by God to be his ambassadors to a lost world. But for the sake of the argument, he's pointing out that if no one goes and preaches and if they don't hear, they won't hear. Be saved. And so this passage is teaching what so many passages teach that you can cross from spiritual death to spiritual life if you hear and receive the message of Christ in no other way. You need the message of Christ, whether you're hurting and broken and desperate for spiritual life, or whether you're strong and content. And you don't feel like you need anything at all. You still need to be humbled and repent and find life in the message, in the person of Christ. I have a friend who loves guns. It's his hobby. He knows a lot about them. And when I watch action movies with him from time to time, it's a little annoying because when the guns come out, the screen just pauses and he, he placed the remote near his hand for this purpose. And so there's Tom Cruise with like a handgun out and it just freezes on him. And I'm like, ah, oh, I know what's coming. And he squints his eyes. <laughs> and he proceeds to tell me the names of all the guns that are drawn. But that's not all. He then proceeds to uh, tell me the year that they were made. And the type of ammunition that they hold. If there's any uh, problems that these guns have, and if there's a certain addition in the series that they are, oh, and if there's been any wars of significance that these guns were used in, he'll let me know which wars those were and what role they played in the wars. He loves guns, okay? It's his hobby. Nothing seems to make him more excited, though, than shooting guns. He goes to the shooting range... And he shoots guns. And if I happen to see him after he's returned from the shooting range recently, his eyes just light up with fire as he describes to me the guns he shot and the targets he shot and the distances he was able to hit them at. And because I'm a good friend, I smile and I nod my head and I listen, even though I'm not as interested in guns as he is. There is something, though, in my friend's life that is far more meaningful to him than guns, and that is his witness for Christ to the men at the shooting range. See, the shooting range is full of men, police officers, uh, veterans, active military, federal agents and citizens of of all kinds, mostly men. And over the years he will share updates with me. After he finishes telling me about the guns he shot and how much fun it was from time to time, he'll mention how he's trying to share Jesus with the men there. He'll kind of almost look away. and doesn't seem as excited, but it's so much more meaningful, so much closer to his heart when he says, I invited John to Calvary Chapel with me on Sunday. We were talking afterwards, and we, he mentioned how he grew up in church, but he hasn't been in a long time. And I told him he should come back. I don't know if he's going to come, but it'll be, I'll be looking for him on Sunday. Six months later, maybe we'll hang out again, and he'll be talking about guns, and I'm being a good listener because I'm a great friend. And then he'll say something like, I was talking to Edward. And, uh, and he was sharing with me about the heartbreak he's going through. And so I told him I'd be praying for him. And he knows I'm a Christian. You know, these are the, 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 the updates that were so important for him to share with me. Because they were such a blessing for him to have an opportunity to be a witness for Christ to these men from time to time over the years. But a few months ago, something happened. A few months ago, he said to me, they're closing the shooting range. It's getting shut down. And I noticed something. Right after he told me that, his stories, his updates about sharing Christ suddenly got a lot more bold. Because he knew he was never going to see most of these men ever again. And so now I'd, when I would catch up with him, He would say, I quoted Romans chapter 3 verse, I don't know, you know, 1 to 4 to John. And I asked him if he's ever considered putting his faith in Christ. And I'm like, whoa, that's a big difference, you know. And then I'd see him in a couple weeks later, and and it was the same type of thing. He was sharing scriptures. He was inviting people to church, and he was asking them difficult questions about where they're going to go when they die, because he knew time was running out. And he asked me a couple weeks ago, when there was just a couple weeks left before it closed forever, he said, do you have a copy of the book More Than a Carpenter? It's like an apologetic book that talks about Jesus. A lot of people find Jesus through that book. And this is a very embarrassing story for me, okay? I looked through my books and I said, yeah, I got it, but it's mine. I didn't say it quite like that. But I said, you know, I wrote in the cover... I had it in high school. It meant a lot to me. It's got the year in there. To my credit, I said, if you can't find any other copies of the book, you can have my copy. He wanted to give it to the owner of the gun range on the last day when they closed. Um, I felt terrible about that. This is going somewhere. Don't worry. I felt terrible about that. Okay, Convicted, maybe, or shameful. I don't know. Well, a couple days later, I contacted him and said, I am so sorry. Please take the book. Like, God used this in my life. You can use it in someone's. I'm sorry, okay? But he didn't want it. He said, you know, I've been thinking about it. He said, I think I might just give him a copy of the Gospel of John. And I said, no, no, more than a carpenter. It's such a powerful book. I used to pass it out at Fullerton College, and it meant a lot to people. Yeah, he said, but... The word of God is so powerful. I think I might just give him a gospel of John. And that's what he ended up doing. On the last day, he spoke with his, the owner of the gun range, and he gave him a gospel of John. Now, my friend has the gift of evangelism. It's obvious. And you probably have friends, too, like that. They just seem wired to share Jesus with everyone. Everywhere they go. But biblically speaking, the primary function of an evangelist is to equip the rest of us in the body of Christ to be better evangelists, to teach us and be examples for us, so that we can observe their lives and their teachings and become better, so that we can say, God, give me a burden greater than the one I have for the people who live next to me. God, put it on my heart to be Jesus to my classmates in a small way. God, help me to minister to my colleagues at work who need you. Because many people think that when you die, that God will explain the gospel to you after death. And that most, if not all people will hear at that point, and be saved. But that is not what the Bible teaches. Many people believe that it doesn't matter what your religion is, that as long as you sincerely follow whatever religion is available to you, that in the end, you will find that they all led to the same God. But that is not what the Bible teaches. Many people believe that once you die, you will discover upon death that Jesus saved you. You never even had to have known him or trusted him, but that his death was sufficient for all. But that is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that salvation comes alone through the message of Christ, the word of God which challenges us to repent and place our trust in Jesus so that we can cross from spiritual death to spiritual life. And it doesn't stop there. You don't cross from spiritual death to spiritual life and say the Bible has accomplished its mission. I don't need it anymore. I now am saved. I now know God. No, because we want to grow in that new life. We want to mature and learn how to live more alive. We want to live like a saved person who's been saved from sin more and more so that we can walk in that newness of life that Jesus had, the most whole person who ever lived. But sometimes we don't realize how necessary the Bible is for that process. In fact, sometimes we think that we've already heard the Bible we heard it in sunday school maybe we heard it on sundays and now we just have to practice it now we just have to take all those stories and principles we've heard and just put it into action put it into action you know say your prayers try to be patient with people forgive one another and if you just practice it enough over the years you'll get better at it and there's not really any pressing need to daily read the bible much less memorize new portions, much less study it. In fact, some of us maybe even kind of roll our eyes when the pastor announces the verse we're going to be looking at. And we think, oh no, I already heard that passage before. This is going to be a boring one. We don't feel the need to feed on a regular basis on the word of God. It doesn't seem necessary for our spiritual growth. And I don't want to deny that practicing what the Bible teaches is important. Of course, we need to put it into practice if we're going to learn how to do it and grow. But here's the thing. When a baby is learning how to lift its head and look around or learning how to crawl or walk slowly across the floor, that's so important. It's never going to mature if it doesn't practice. But if the baby isn't nourished by its mother's milk or something equivalent, then it will not have the strength to lift its head. It will not have the nourishment to practice crawling or stumbling across the room. It will be too weak and cranky to learn and grow. And what we forget sometimes is that the word of God is spiritual milk for our souls. It nourishes our spirits in the same way that food nourishes our bodies. Isn't that what we saw when Jesus was in the desert? When Satan came to him after 40 days and nights of fasting and said, turn these stones into loaves of bread. And what did Jesus say? He quoted scripture, which apparently he'd been meditating on, because it all comes from the same section. And he says, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. What is he saying? He's saying, yes, I'm hungry and probably close to death. And I would love some loaves of bread. But I'm not just a body. I'm a soul too. And my soul is well nourished. My soul is so well fed that I can face the greatest temptist of all history and say no. Because he has feasted daily on the word of God. And if you and I want to be spiritually well fed and nourished, so that we can practice what the Bible says and learn and grow then we too must feast on spiritual milk let's look at a passage now in 1 Peter chapter 2 1 Peter chapter 2 and we'll start reading right in verse 1 and as we read here see if you can tell how how the Bible is necessary for our spiritual growth. It says this. It says, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. So he starts off by kind of listing those things we already know, right? That you're supposed to practice. Put off malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy. Okay, you know, don't sin. (laughs) Live the Christian life. But then he says something really interesting. He says, crave pure spiritual milk. Well, what's he talking about? What is pure spiritual milk? Well, if you just back up a few verses... You see that he's talking about the Bible, the word of God, the message of Christ that was preached to them. And he says, crave it so that you can receive it and so that you can grow. It's not just practicing the word of God, but feasting on and being nourished by it. And I think we've all experienced that, right? You're going through life and you're trying to be patient. Maybe with someone in a, a group discussion at school. And they, they, they mock your faith and they disagree with you. And in every class discussion, you're trying so hard to bite your tongue and be patient with them. And it seems like you fail every time. You end up retaliating and being harsh no matter how hard you try. And then you go to Bible study. You gather in the evening with your friends You don't even really want to be there. But you open up the Bible and you guys start reading the Sermon on the Mount. You start reading Jesus saying, love your enemies. Turn the other cheek. Stuff like that. And you wrestle with it. You ask questions and you, yeah, but what about this? And you all go back and forth. And and as you keep reading and you keep discussing It's like the word of God just starts to settle into your heart. And the next day you go back to class and he's more antagonistic than ever when the group discussion starts. But this time you're not starving. This time your soul is well fed and you still have to work at it and bite your tongue. But for the first time all semester, you speak with gentleness and you turn the other cheek and for the first time all semester you feel the presence of Christ fill the room you feel like you've been a witness for Christ because you nourished your soul and so may we not simply think that the Bible is a one-and-done but may we feast on it to mature grow. I had a, a friend who, whose heart was broken. He dated a woman for, for years, and then she ended the relationship. And it hurt him so bad. But he was soldiering on, taking it one day at a time, meeting his responsibilities, waiting for time to heal. But a few months after the breakup, he found out that she was engaged to one of our mutual friends. And he didn't even have to tell me. I knew that that was going to reopen the wound to some degree for him. And he, he texted me and he said, can I come over? And I said, of course, come over. And when he, when he knocked at my door, I opened it and I didn't even invite him in. I just stepped outside into the darkness with him. And we just took off walking that evening all over the, the streets of Diamond Bar. But he didn't just want company. He didn't just want someone to talk to because he felt alone. He wanted help. He said, what should I do? I need help. And I said, read the Bible. I don't know if this was smart, but I said, start with Lamentations. Someone else who's hurting. And then read the book of Proverbs. And you know what? He did. He read Lamentations and we talked about it. And then he read the book of Proverbs. And he he described to me how the words of scripture were hitting him so much harder because he was so desperate for them. And he said, I read this passage in Proverbs. I've heard it before. But it says, don't lean on your own understanding. But in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. And he said, this time I think I finally got it. We started calling each other once a week on the phone to ask each other some spiritual accountability questions. He got plugged into a church and started fellowshipping on a regular basis with a a church. And one year to the day that he knocked on my door, I got a text message from him that I'll never forget. He said, Luke, it's been one year to this day since I knocked on your door. God is good. And I love that story because it's a visual picture of how when we feast on the word of God, our souls find strength to follow the God of the word. We find the strength to resist despair. Day by day, the nourishment to say no to envy, to say no to lust, to say no to sin. And to instead get better at better is saying yes to Jesus and his will for our lives. And whether you're heartbroken right now, or whether you're on cloud nine, maybe you just got a promotion in the new year and you're feeling great. May we all recognize our need to feed not just our bodies, but our souls. And may we all consider how we can feast on the Bible. And, and, you know, I like to, I like to set the bar kind of low. I hope that's okay to say, because then I can meet the bar. And if you're here and you're thinking, I'm sorry, but I'm just too busy to feed my soul. Or I'm just too heartbroken. Do something, try something small. Maybe you can listen to a chapter of the Gospel of John while you cook your eggs in the morning. On, on the audio, right? Right? Or maybe, maybe, as heartbroken as you are, you can read one psalm with your family before you eat dinner. And you know what you might find? You might find that after you read the psalm, which you think is all you can do, that you guys end up talking about it a little bit while you eat. And it starts to settle into your heart. Or you might find that after you listen to one chapter of John, the Lord is speaking to you through it. And when the chapter ends, your eggs aren't quite done. So you listen to another chapter. And as you do that, you might just find yourself craving more and more the word of God. As you see it touching your heart and changing your life as you go throughout the day. And it might just be a spiral of life that leads to more and more life like it's meant to be lived. As you don't starve your soul but feed it and nourish it as you read Scripture. And maybe for some of us, find God's help to even memorize it and to, and to study it with friends in a setting that helps us. I love Bible studies for that reason. Forces me to study the Bible because they're going to ask me a question and I don't want to look stupid. Then I end up learning. And so may we, may we nourish our souls on it. In part because... It's wonderful to know God's will, isn't it? It's wonderful to know what God is asking us to do in life. It'd be hard to grow spiritually if we didn't know how. But God has told us his will for our lives. And and sometimes I think we don't recognize how important the Bible is, how necessary it is for knowing God's will because we have God's presence inside of our hearts. And and when we have questions about the details of our lives, which house to buy, who to marry, um, what's another big one? I'm trying to think of big examples. Which school to go to? Well, the Bible doesn't say any of that stuff. And so, what we do, which is wonderful, is we pray about it. We we we, we seek an inward leading of the Holy Spirit, and we even look at our circumstances to see which doors is God opening that I can step out in a baby step of faith and see where he might be leading me. And that's wonderful. And that's that's great. But sometimes we desire that so much that we kind of put the Bible on the back burner in the meantime because we know it's not going to answer the question of which school to go to. So we just keep praying and discussing it and thinking about it. And the Bible almost seems a bit insignificant in that season because it doesn't have the answer. But the thing is, as precious as that leading of the Spirit is and those determining the circumstances can be, it's all quite subjective, isn't it? It's all quite mysterious. And sometimes we think God is leading us somewhere and then we find out that that wasn't where he was leading us at all. Or maybe you even thought he was leading you somewhere and someone opens the Bible and shows you that that's not God, that that's sin. And you're like, ooh, sorry God for blaming you for my desire to sin and thinking it was you. And so may we pray and seek God's will earnestly, but may we hold those things loosely And never tighter than the word of God. Never neglecting God's word while we seek his will for the details of our lives. Because unlike those leadings, the Bible is clear and authoritative and reliable and true. Let's look at one more passage in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 29. And in 29, we'll read verse 29, and while we read it, see if you can hear it for yourself, that we need God's word. It's necessary for knowing God's will with certainty. It says this in verse 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow all the words of this law. So it's Deuteronomy. So Moses writing to the Israelites, reminding them of God's law and their history. He acknowledges, what we all know, that there's a lot that we don't know. (laughs) That God has not revealed everything to us, and we will never know everything. We will never know all the details that we want to know, at least not with certainty. But there's other things that he has revealed to us. And these things aren't just for us. They're for everyone for all time. The eternal, clear, written word of God. And it doesn't tell you which house to buy. It doesn't tell you who to marry or which school to go to. But that doesn't mean it isn't precious and wonderful to know what God desires from us and how to honor and please him with absolute certainty that we are carrying out his will. And after all, if you want to know who to marry or what school to go to, isn't the best way to determine God's will through the subjective means to saturate your heart in his non subjective word, to be so familiar with what he desires, that it's easier and you can have more confidence when you take steps of faith in the details because you're so familiar with who he is and how he's called you to live that you can say, Lord, I think you're leading me here. Keyword: think, we don't know for sure to this school, but God, I have the confidence, even if it doesn't work out that you are with me and that you're working all things to my good. And that you will provide a way for me to honor you if only I seek to obey your word. It gives us confidence and peace as we navigate a life where we don't have confidence in, the, in absolutely clear ways to discern God's will. I, a couple of weeks ago, I wanted to buy my friend a Starbucks drink. But Starbucks didn't update their hours and they were closed when I got there. So I had to wait 30 minutes in the parking lot for the store to open. And I thought, hey, I'll kill two birds with one stone. I'll say my morning prayers right here in the car while I wait for Starbucks to open. I won't have to do it when I get home. So I started saying my prayers, and I just threw my acronym out the window this time. You know, I always use the same acronym. I don't know, maybe it's because I was in a different place or something. It felt different, and I just said, God, there's just something on my heart a burden. And can I just bring this to you? I'm so distracted by it. I don't think I could get through the acronym. And I just poured my heart out to God. You know, a situation that was troubling me and I didn't know what to do. And I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but it's like, as soon as the words leave my heart, it's like, God is like, he just answers. And you're like, why did I take so long to do that? (laughs) As soon as you lay it out before the Lord, in silence, in sincerity, he just seems to answer. Not always. Okay, I'm not saying that always happens, but it happened. I could, like, see the whole problem in front of me, and it was almost like God was just arranging all the pieces of the puzzle. And I was like, oh, well, that makes sense. I'll do that. And I just felt this sense of peace and this sense of of warmth that God was Speaking to me and that he was with me and it was so comforting and wonderful. But, you know, the opportunity to do the idea that to solve the problem in the way I feel like the Lord led me to, it hasn't come yet. I'm still waiting for the chance to do it. And if I share the idea with one of you and you show me in the Bible that that's not actually a biblical way to solve this problem, then I'm not going to do it. I'll let it go. If the circumstance changes and I can't do it, I'm not going to be too shocked because I often think God says something that he doesn't say. And if someone tells me that my idea doesn't sound wise and they convince me, I will abandon it. As much as I love those quiet times with the Lord, those do not determine the course of my life, nearly as much as the word of God, which isn't mysterious. It's very clear and it's very reliable. And so may we never neglect the study of God's word, no matter what problem or situation we're trying to navigate through in life. May we stick with what is clear and reliable and humbly with open hands, hold on to everything else we think God is leading us to, acknowledging that it's not—it's not His word; it's what we think He's leading us to. One, one more story. It's the last one. Some of you, I think, have heard enough stories for this morning. But I was at my friend's house—the one who loves guns. Okay. And I'm sorry, I'm going to make gun owners look bad with this one. But I I was hanging out with him, and I uh, I heard the sound of clicking, click, 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 and then a bang. Unmistakable, a sound of a gun going off. Just shakes the house. And so I immediately go around the corner. I was in, like, his dining, living area. And I go right around the corner, and there's my friend standing there, with one of his favorite revolvers in his hand and he's white as a ghost, white as a sheet of paper. And I instantly knew what happened. He was practicing with the empty gun or he thought it was empty. There was actually a cartridge in the gun, which is why it's so important after you empty a revolver to visually check to see for yourself if it's really empty. And so we look at the wall and there's a hole in it. So we go around the wall to the other side, and we look, and there's a hole in it. And then we look at the back, you know, we're like tracing it, you know, we're like, we look at the back of the couch, and there's a hole in it. And then we look at the other side of the couch, and there's a hole in the blanket laying over the couch. And then we look to see where that leads, and there's a chair that I was sitting in that's covered in drywall powder. And then we look at me and I'm covered in drywall powder. And I said, am I shot? And he said, no. And we just hugged with tears in our eyes. He said, I think your guardian angel was here today. I pulled the bullet out of the couch with my own fingers. It had somehow made a hole in the blanket and went back in the couch. And for like the next two weeks after that, I, um, I just felt grateful to be alive, you know? I'd be complaining in traffic, like, oh, this traffic's the worst. And I'd be like, wait a second, I'm alive. This traffic is great. <laughs> and I had this thought, this thought came to me like a couple days after it happened when I was still like processing it, you know, where I thought, well, what would I have said if the worst had happened? If somehow the bullet had got me? He said I had loaded that. For bears. It was bear load. Like what what would I have said to him if it hadn't gotten stuck in the couch? And I was surprised by my answer, because I don't feel like a very spiritual person most of the time. And granted, this was just in my imagination, but it felt real because it was so recent. I said with all my heart, you know, imagining myself, you know, laying in his arms, I said, I would have said, Don't worry, I'm ready. I'm ready to go home. And that's because I, I was surprised but I believe the words of the Bible that say that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. Even me. And not just saved. Whether you look healthy and happy or not. But you can be led and you can grow if you feast on the words of God. And you can do that because God's word reveals in no uncertain terms his will. Not just for you and me but for all God's people for all time. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for Uh, Giving us the opportunity to talk about, think about, wrestle with your word this morning, God. Like that song, Lord, that says we're prone to wander. It's so true. We're prone to get distracted living a fun life, God. We can be distracted in our pain and we can be distracted in our pleasure. So content, God, that we forget how desperately we need your word. In so much pain, God, that we forget that even in the dark night of the soul, the soul still needs food. And so, Lord, I just pray for all of us that as we continue this series and as we stand in a moment to sing to you, God, that your Holy Spirit would just continue to remind us of the importance of your word. Because it doesn't take much, God, for us to feast on your word and to be reminded of how beautiful and true and life-changing it is. So draw us back, Lord. Continue to lead us to your word through your spirit so that we can live real life. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.